Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, you guys. You guys. Oh, you guys are so sweet. Thank you so much. That's, it was hard to be gone. I'm not going to lie. It was hard to be gone. Um, so yeah, had a sabbatical, had the first part of my sabbatical. The second part should be later on this year. So there'll be another part where I'm gone. And I just want to say thank you for the team. Pastor Mike, every time you preach, Karen, the whole team, amazing. They obviously, they held this church together. It's not like they need me really, truly. It was amazing. Every week I'd watch and, you know, text people like, hey, what about this? And they'd be like, shut up. Okay, I'm on vacation. Um, and then about halfway through, uh, we all got COVID. And so we got to spend our Christmas and New Year's all COVIDed up, which was no fun. And, and listen, it, I don't know how your experience would be. It wasn't too bad. Like we all felt, it wasn't horrible, mild fevers, that sort of thing. But it went through every single person in our house. Every couple of days, another person would fall. And finally, my, my son, Jacob, who kind of sequesters himself in his room to play video games sometimes anyway, he was the only one who didn't have it. And finally, we're like, we're just going to test you because we think you have it. And he did. So, um, so. So that's why we're keeping you in mass. That's why we want you to continue to do that. Be careful. If you decide to stay home, if you're online and you'd like to be here, but you feel like you're maybe immunocompromised or you want to make sure you want to be careful, totally honor that. We support you in that. We want to make sure that we're being careful to one another. Hopefully this will be a pretty quick surge and it'll die down again. Maybe we can get closer to being done with all this. But um, thank you. Thank you for complying and being thoughtful about our space and what we do together. We keep our, our fans on, that sort of thing. But it's good to be back. And Happy New Year, right? It's a new year. What are we, 2022? That's, that's not... That seems like the future, doesn't it? It seems like the future. It seems like a lot of things were supposed to be happening. At the beginning of the year, I usually like to, um, I like to kind of set up, you know, the year and tell you about the grand plans the Crosswalk has, and this is where we're going to go. And so, of course, I had this, you know, sabbatical, so I was, you know, praying through it and, and you know, really thinking about, like, what's next and what God wants for this community and for our church. And, um, and I was ready to, I really wanted to kind of un- veil this amazing thing that's going to happen this year. And I got nothing. Like God didn't like hit me with a lightning bolt. And so I, you know, I just continued to go like hit balls at the golf course. And, um, cause that's where I hear God usually telling me to be quiet. Cause I'm very unhappy, but I just waited to see, I wanted to see what God wanted me to do and what God wanted our community to do and what I could lay out. And the longer I thought about it, the more I kind of meditated on it, if you will. And, and, and what I realized is simply this. I want to be a witness to God's revealing this year. I, I, don't, I don't think we need a huge strategy. I don't think we need, you know, a huge infrastructure and a plan, an evangelistic campaign. I think we just need to be a group of people who are more than willing to witness what God is doing every single day in our lives and learn how to speak to that in a way that maybe we haven't before. I think sometimes even when I think about it, when I think about strategies, I think that maybe I was putting, you know, my ego into it to see what we could go and how we could progress and how we could grow and this and that. And today, this year, I just really want to be a witness of what God is already doing. You know, I had to ask the question, like, what are we doing here? What is church even for? I've been spending some time reflecting on this. 
you know, is it important? Is it, does it make a difference in people's lives? Do people listen to what I say and change the way that they think because they're hearing the voice of God? Are they in community and so we begin to treat each other better? What is it? Maybe we've been trying to change so much that we've forgotten the real important meaning of what we do, which is looking around and seeing what God is doing. It all comes down to witness. And, and I mean, have you ever been a witness to something? Have you ever been a witness to a marriage where you got to sign on the dotted line? Like you were the one, you're best man, or you were, a, uh, you were a maid or matron of honor, and you got to go sign the certificate? That's kind of exciting, right? Or maybe you were a witness to an accident or something, and you, you had to go to actually go to court and be that witness and say the facts that you saw them. Being a witness is pretty important. And, and when we grow up, we witness things, and witnesses, you know, what we witness becomes a part of us eventually. Whether it's cycles of joy that we got to grow up with, whether it's cycles of abuse we got to grow up with, wholeness or brokenness, right? Pain or joy, all that we witness makes us into who and what we are, what we do, how we speak, what we are fearful of and what we are hopeful for. Everything that we witness in our lives becomes a piece of us. And then what we witness, we incarnate into the world, right? It becomes tangible through us, what we've seen and what's become a part of us, it becomes tangible. We know this to be true. The incarnation of what we witness affects the tangible world around us, the people around us. It affects the way we think about things, think about life, think about others, treat others, care for others, love others. And the problem is we're all broken a little bit, right? And so it becomes really difficult for us because we begin to think that, like, what can a broken witness really do? What happens when we are broken and yet we witness something of God? And today we're talking about what it means to be a broken witness and how we witness from our brokenness. It's something we can all probably connect with. What happens when someone who is broken comes into contact with the divine? So we're studying today from John chapter 9. Now, our next series that's going to begin, I think, in March or February, maybe. Um, the next series is a John series, so we'll be spending a lot of time in this book. But I thought this particular chapter would be kind of helpful for us today when we're talking about a broken witness. Because it's a story that you'll know and you'll understand. It begins like this. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, this was nothing new. The sick and the blind and the lame and, and the lepers, they all came to Jesus because when you know that there's someone who can give you wholeness, you want to be close to that thing. Now, whether this was a man who had just been sitting on the side of the road forever, or whether this was a man who had somehow been brought to where Jesus was, we don't 100% know. Chances are it was in his community. And so when they see him, his disciples say this, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? 
Now, this is a fair question for the theology of the day, right? They believe that sin incarnates, and they believe that sin incarnates in very particular and powerful ways. Even Scripture speaks to, you know, curses being left into generation into generation. And the truth is, that's kind of true. When you grow up in a cycle of abuse, it's incredibly difficult to break that cycle of abuse. And oftentimes, that does visit generation after generation. If that's something that you experienced growing up, please get professional help. Make sure you're processing through that so you can break that. But they asked this question. It's a fair question for what they understood at the time, but it was a miss, right? But it, it speaks to a human desire, which is causation. We want to know who did what and why something happened. If you grew up in a home with brothers and sisters and somebody broke something in the kitchen and everyone scattered, you knew what was coming next, right? Mom walks in the kitchen and says, who did this? And if you were from a good family, you began to blame your brothers and sisters. And by good family, I just mean a family that loves enough to know that you can blame somebody else. And that's a weird explanation of that. No, you know, you don't want to take the blame for it because blame becomes really important, right? Um, and, and it is important to know the causation of certain things, certainly when we're dealing with behavioral health issues and that sort of thing. It's important to know. However, Sometimes in our search for cause, we miss the way forward. We want to we wanna get somebody in trouble for something that happened, but, you know, we really just need to clean up the mess that we made. We can spend a lot of time on what happened, but sometimes we need to spend time on what can happen. Blame is worth knowing, but can rarely fix the problem. So Jesus gives this answer. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, this happens so the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus understands that there can be a purpose to everything that happens. However, this text can become difficult if you believe it to be interpreted in this way. God sent blindness to this man so that this particular experience can happen. I don't believe that happened. I don't believe God causes that. I think we live in a broken world where sin is rampant and sin gets involved even in our genetics and our DNA. This man was born blind and that's because we live in a broken world. I don't believe God said, Joe is going to be blind because when he's 38 on Thursday, he's going to meet Jesus and therefore God will be glorified. I don't think that's the way it worked, but I think God saw the opportunity and I think Jesus says, listen, through this experience, we can glorify God. God did not cause the blindness, but he was definitely willing to use it. And to me, this is a much more constructive way to think. And I think that's important. And then Jesus says something else as he continues this. He says, listen, it's not this guy's fault. It's not we're going to glorify God. And then he says, and we must do it now. We must carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. So there seems to be some initiative. There seems to be like, hey, we need to do the work of alleviating suffering the moment we can do the work of alleviating suffering. We need to get involved in this right now. It's great to talk about it and theologize about it, but maybe we need to heal this man. And then he says this, and while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus reminds us that we are witnesses to the light of the world and a light allows 
for our witness to be clear and true. What happens is he's setting something up. The disciples are about to witness the revealing of God, the goodness of God through the healing of this man. And he says, you're going to see it even more clearly because the light of the world is right here. Now I'm going to say something that's really stupid and really obvious. But what happens in the light is easier to see. So when they saw Jesus do it, they understood a revealing of God. They understood the character of God. And they could now be a witness in clarity to the truth of the revealing of God. It's obvious, but it's not unimportant. When Jesus is present, we can be witness to the goodness of God without any guesses. This is why we invite Jesus into our lives daily, into our heart, to illuminate the, world, the life that we are living so that we might see his witness clearly and purely that we might be able to share that witness with the clarity of the facts of what happens. See, it's when we bring darkness into the experience that we are a little confused at times about what happened. And the next thing that's about to happen is one of the weirdest things that happens in the New Testament. So stick with me here. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, I don't know what picture you have of this in your head, but growing up, there was a lot of mud involved in my head when I, when I conceived this. And so I was walking, and I was thinking about this text. And I spit on the ground and realized that would be very difficult to make a lot of mud with. I know this is growth. Gross. Stick with me. In my head, Jesus made like mud patties and covered his eyes with it. I don't think that's what happened. No one has that much saliva. Even Jesus, I don't think. It would be a medical problem. So what happened was Jesus spit on the ground, picked it up, put it over his eyes. Sorry about that sound. That's what he did. But what gets me about this is not the process of it, because whatever that process was, what gets me about it is that Jesus didn't have to do this. There's really no reason that Jesus had to do that at all. He hadn't, he hadn't done that before necessarily. He could just heal this man by saying your faith has made you well. He doesn't need to do that, but he's using this as a metaphor to help us understand a couple things. Number one, that the work that we witness is not always pretty. Sometimes the revealing of God happens in the mud. It happens in the dirt. It happens when things are ugly. It's not the prettiest process, but sometimes God breaks through in hard ways. And in kind of gross ways. But then Jesus does something phenomenal. He says, now go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Again, there's absolutely no reason for this. He didn't need the man to be involved. He wanted the man to be involved. He didn't need the man to be part of the healing process, but he wanted the man to be part of the healing process. This is a partnership in the healing that we should recognize. Jesus didn't need the man to do anything, but he was willing to allow him to be part of the healing. Which begs a question for us today. Where is God trying to partner with you in the healing of the world? Because we're talking about the healing of a blind man, but really, when we talk about Jesus in the world, we're talking about the healing of the world. We're talking about how the world becomes less divided and more united. How the world begins to understand and experience the love of Jesus. That only comes through our witness of, of the experience of love that we've had with Jesus. So what it means is that Jesus is actively 
partnering with us to become active witnesses to the goodness of God in the world. We are not called only to witness, but to participate in the good that God is doing to heal the world. But his neighbors don't understand it. In fact, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? You see, the world will never really accept the healing that God can bring. This is perhaps why we're okay with witnessing to something that is a little less than God. Right? We're okay with, with witnessing to something that's not the revealing of God, but, you know, I, I'll say it this way. I'm not really interested in you witnessing to the goodness of Crosswalk. Even though I think Crosswalk is a great place, I think it's a wonderful church. I'm so blessed by all of you and I think you're blessed and that's why you come here. But I'm not interested in you witnessing to Crosswalk. I'm interested in you witnessing to Jesus. And if Crosswalk is a place you find Jesus, well, we're gonna be part of the story. But our evangelism, our spreading of the good news is not the good news of Crosswalk, it never will be. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand that, then we are witnessing to something less. Because you know what? There are people who come to Crosswalk and are deeply disappointed that we are not everything that they hoped we would be. Because it's simple. We're not Jesus. And so because I think the world has a hard time accepting the goodness and greatness and power and love and compassion that Jesus is, we, decided, we decide to undersell and we sell our church or we sell our denomination or we sell our theological beliefs or ideologies. We sell that rather than trying to just give a clear, plain witness to how Jesus is revealing himself in the world. His everyday apocalypse, his everyday revealing of who he is. These people were confused. So, you know, they've got to ask him in a bit. Some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar is like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm Joe. I don't know the beggar's, nobody knows the beggar's name, but he's Joe for this sermon, all right? He said, no, I'm, the, I'm Joe, right? Because we can't believe God will be that good, this is perhaps why we are willing to witness to something less than God. We don't actually expect God to do something. At least these people were kind of willing to explore it. So they ask him, who healed you? What happened? And this is the moment, right? This is the moment, the time to become a witness to what God has done, the time for Joe to express to the world the things that have happened. I mean, he's got to have a great speech, right? He's got to say something amazing so that people will be interested and, and ready to go. They want to jump into this relationship with God. So, so this is what he says. Are you ready for it? He says, the man they called Jesus made mud spread it on my eyes and told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. That's not very exciting. There's no color commentary to that. He just told the facts. He simply stated the facts. By the way, if we're going to use this as a model to the witness that we can give to the world, that's point number one. Witness to the facts of what God has done. Don't make it better than it is. Because it is superlative, because it is God. Nothing you can say can make it better, even though we often try, right? We always want to embellish a story. We all have that friend, right? A friend who starts to tell a story, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I was there. And by the end of the story, you're like, maybe I wasn't there. <laughs> maybe that's different. 
did that happen when I was there? And they're like, no, man, you were there. And you're like, oh, none of that happened. I'm sure it's how pastor's wives often feel when they hear their husbands speak. And I say that in that gendered way because I think when female pastors speak, they have a tendency to not do that as much because that's, they're better. Let's put it that way. No, man, I, I, we all have that person in our life who does that, who embellishes, who gilds the lily, as they used to say in 1200 AD. I don't know. It's been a long time since anyone said that. Um, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But it piqued their interest. He planted the seed by just telling them the facts. And so they ask in John 9, 12, they ask, well, where is he now? And I love his response. He said, I don't know. The reason why I love this response is because when you are witnessing to the goodness of God in the world, don't say you know something when you don't. Don't speak to something that didn't happen in your life. Don't speak to a revealing that wasn't yours. When you do that, you become a liar. You become somebody who's trying to, to express God being greater than God is. And that's a fool's errand because God doesn't get better. Nothing you can say can make God better. His sacrifice on the cross is perfect. And the way he reveals himself in your life is exactly what the people around you need to hear. In fact, if you say it differently than how it happened, you're lying. And so this man very simply goes, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea where he went. So then they got concerned, right? They're interested in the story. They've heard his witness. They can see the results of the, of the, the revealing of God, which is his sight. So then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. And we got to understand this. When you give your witness and you just tell the facts, you don't say things you don't know. You just tell the facts. People are interested, but you have to be prepared for the escalation because people are incredulous that God can be that good. So they will have to escalate the conversation. Well, I need you to talk to my friend who knows more about this than I do. Or, or I, need to, I need to talk to another pastor. Or I need to, like, they escalate the conversation because they're having a hard time getting their heads around the fact that God can reveal himself so clearly and be so good. Be careful when the escalation happens. Don't be surprised when it happens. Be careful when it happens. Because it's a moment where we want to say, oh, well, you know, make the story bigger. We don't need to do this. And the reason why they were wanting to escalate it is because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made mud and healed them. See, there was always, there's always going to be a problem with our witness when we just witness to what God did. Somebody's always going to try to debunk that witness of the goodness of God. They will always find ways to debunk it. It's a technicality. That didn't really happen. You didn't understand it. It's a cultural faux pas. It doesn't matter. It will be escalated this witness of yours, and then it will try to be debunked. And so this is how he answers the Pharisees, because the Pharisees asked the man about it. So he told them in more concise terms this time, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it, I could see. <laughs> this guy is just sticking to his story. He's not trying to change anything. He doesn't need to change anything. He knows what happened. He knows that God was revealed in his healing. He can see he doesn't have to explain that to anyone because they're talking to him and he can see. So what happens is once it's been escalated and you've got all these experts in the room, they're curious, but they don't know what happens and they start to divide. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, how could he be an ordinary sinner and do such miraculous signs? Remember, we're reading from the book of John, so it's signs, not miracles. 
So there was deep division of opinion among them. There's cracks and there's arguments. They got stuck in this loop without having an answer. So you know what they did? They went back to the expert witness. Who was this man? The Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? They're actually accepting the fact that God broke through, aren't they? They're recognizing the healing. They're recognizing the witness. So what's your opinion about this man who heals you? And the man says, well, he must be a prophet. Which, by the way, is the highest honor you can give above rabbi. Right? So he says, well, he must be a prophet. When you give your witness, when you give your witness honestly, when you say just the facts and you don't say things that you don't know, and you walk through that escalation, and, 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 when, and when they question you, you just stick again to the facts and you talk about the goodness of God in clarity and in truth because what happened to you happened in the light because Jesus Christ was there. Then you need to be prepared to become an expert because they don't know the answer. They didn't experience that revealing of God. So they come back to you. And by the way, in our experience, this is all happening, right, in real time in the story. But in our experience, it may take minutes for someone to come back to you, from that escalation to come back to you. It may take months, someone processing what you told them, talking to other people, having more conversations. It may take years for your witness to take hold and grab a hold of someone. It's a seed that grows. Some seeds grow quickly, some grow very slowly. But it will eventually need water. And so they're going to come back to you and ask you questions about the witness that you gave them first. They're going to come back to the source. And the beautiful thing is, even though you're the conduit, you're the faucet, if you will, you're not the source. Jesus is. And he's going to give you the words. And he's going to give you the things to say even if you stumble through it. Because the person that's talking to you needs your witness, not somebody else's. They need your honest, true witness of who God is and what God has done for you and how he revealed himself to you in the world, how he became more than you thought he could be, how goodness reigned in your life and how goodness brought the world around you together just a little bit more. This is a story about healing a blind man, but this is really the story about healing the world. And what you give witness to makes a difference in how the world is healed. If you give witness to crosswalk, it won't heal the world. If you give witness to you know, our faith tradition, or, or, or it's not gonna heal the world. The only thing that's gonna heal the world is Jesus. And so that's what we have to witness to. So what are you witnessing? What are you revealing? This, this is the real question. And the way we can clarify is that when something miraculous happens to you, when you experience the goodness of God, whether it's through some person, whether it's through worship, whether it's through whatever, I don't know, God works in lots of different ways, not all of them mysterious, some certainly. The way we get clarity is to ask ourselves the question, not what does this mean to me, but what is God trying to reveal to the world through me and through this experience? That's the difference. If witness becomes about you, then you're just witnessing to yourself. Let's witness to the goodness of God. You see, when we witness to something less than God, 
We actually do damage to his name in the world. And I never want to do that. I always want to think about the words of, of John the Baptist. He must increase. And that means, like, I got to decrease a little bit. This is not about me. This is about what God has revealed about himself. And I'm just blessed to be a bit of a conduit for that. So it all begins the journey by asking, you this, by asking yourself this question. How have you witnessed the revealing of God in your life? And what is he trying to say? And it doesn't matter if you're broken because in that revealing there is healing. It doesn't matter if you're blind because in that healing there is sight. It doesn't matter if you can't walk or if you feel like you're a leper because there is wholeness in the revealing of God in your life. And listen, some of us have led really broken lives. Some because we were born into broken systems of family and society and sometimes because we chose it. But that doesn't mean that you're left there because God would never do that to you. What it means is that God will meet you there and reveal himself to you to take you to the place he wants you to go. That man got healed and he was no longer sitting on the side of the road. He went from blind and ignorant to sight and the expert witness, witnessing to the very highest part of their religious system. God can do amazing miracles with a blind man or with you. You just have to be ready to see it. So how have you witnessed the revealing of God? If you have, it's time to go tell someone. And you'll know the moment because the Holy Spirit works just like that. Now, say it now. You'll know. And if you haven't ever seen the revealing of God, it's time to think about the world and look at the world a little bit differently because God is moving all around you in every way, through the people that you meet, through the people that are reaching out to you, through the communities that you exist in, through the worship songs we sing, God is continuing to move. So ask yourself, how have I witnessed the revealing of God? And then be prepared to become the expert witness about that revealing. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, thank you for, thank you for some time off, but thank you for bringing me back, Lord. May we... May we witness your goodness with clarity and with, with honor, with honesty and with just incredible, incredible clarity and, and truth. Lord, we believe that healing isn't just for us personally, but healing is for the world. And so Lord, help us to become agents of that healing where love can overwhelm any other ideas out there. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.